Coming up on the FSR Sark Fighter podcast, a caregiver talks about how to help a person with sarcoidosis. We were suffering anxiety, not knowing what was going on for a very long period of time. Uh, and then almost immediately we started suffering anxiety because we did know what was going on. John Makoviak has a remarkable perspective after years of helping his wife Janet deal with sarcoidosis. Partner, family, friends, uh, things that aren't going right, we all as humans are going to have emotional attachment to those occurrences. And um, in the case with Janet and sarcoid, is um, we do try and keep in perspective the things that we can control. It's all coming up on the award-winning FSR Sark Fighter podcast. This is the Sark Fighter podcast, living with sarcoidosis and other rare diseases. Here's your host, John Carlin. Hello and welcome everyone. This is episode 100, can you believe it, of the FSR Sark Fighter podcast. I'm your host, John Carlin. This episode is brought to you by A-Tire Pharmaceuticals. Learn more about the A-Tire FSOFIT trial, the only phase 3 trial in pulmonary sarcoidosis. Visit http colon backslash backslash www.fsofit.com or more easily look for a link in the show notes. All right, what a weekend for the sarcoidosis community. It's kind of amazing that we just finished the annual FSR Summit, and I'm talking about it as I record episode 100 of the FSR Sark Fighter podcast. I remember starting this way back when. Uh, I can't even tell you how long ago it's been. Maybe I can, actually, while I'm chatting a little bit about this. But let's see. Episode one, number one, My Sarcoidosis Story, came out on February 8th of 2020. And now it's had more than 2,000 listens. And which is, you know, that's that's a high number. When you, when you think about how many people, <laughs> how many people have sarcoidosis, how many people want to take the time to listen to a podcast about sarcoidosis? And I can remember when I first came up with the idea of doing this, I didn't know if anybody would ever listen. I I mean, I would have been happy with five downloads because how do you reach the sarcoidosis community? How do you get it out there? How, How do you let people who have this very, very specific interest know that the podcast even exists. And I just knew that that there were a lot of people who had reached out to me after I went public with my story of sarcoidosis on Channel 10, where I'm the news anchor, and, and they reached out to me and said, oh, I'm so glad you're telling your story. And, and, and people, it, it got picked up and then it got some people found it on different web links and and so I said, you know, I've got to, I've got to find a way to talk to this community, because I have a story to share. Lots of people have a story to share. Um, at that time, I did not have a relationship 
with the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research, but I, I reached out and, and said, you know, I want to do this podcast. Is there a way that we can partner up somehow? And so for a long time, we just had a very loose partnership, but they helped provide me with some background and some data and and agreed to share the podcast on their website. And, and they hooked me up with physicians and people who were willing to tell their stories. Uh, I go back, I'm looking at episode five right now, Chasta Posey. Uh, episode four was uh, Maggie Hudson. Episode three was Frank Rivera, who's just had an amazing run and does so much volunteering with sarcoidosis. And, and you know, so I'm just looking at some of these names that were at the unknowns, unbeknownst to me, but they were sort of they were sort of well-known people in the sarcoidosis community because of all of their outreach and all kinds of online things they were doing, which were things I didn't know about. And now it's been a hundred episodes. And if I look at my dashboard, I know we were coming up on uh, some milestone. Yeah. So we've had over 70,000 downloads now, 70,000 people. It blows my mind. It blows my mind. I'm so pleased that it's worked, and I'm so pleased when people reach out and they say, thank you for the podcast, it really helps. And and so, you know, here we are, episode 100, and I'm kind of looking at like, okay, what is what does phase two look like of this podcast? I'm not going to make any, any big changes. Uh, you know, it's still going to be interview-based. It's still going to focus on patients and clinicians and FSR, which is sort of the nucleus for all the different ways that people can find help. Um, but I, maybe maybe I will just change some of the sounds that you've been hearing. Of course, I'll ne- I will never go away from the official Sark Fighter song, uh, which is Zombie by Mark Steyer from Alberta, Canada. Um, so, so, but maybe I'll just choose some different clips from that song. I don't know. Uh, maybe just give it uh, a little bit of uh, a, re- a refreshing, uh, but uh, I'm just glad you're here. I'm glad you're listening. I'm glad it's worked out. Uh, it certainly feels worth it to continue to do this. And so I say that as I'm recording in early November of 2023. Um, today is actually November 6th, and with any luck, I'll be able to release this podcast today, but I spent a lot of time this weekend um, doing things with the annual summit, the annual FSR summit, of course, which is, uh, it used to be in person years and years ago, Uh, then we had the pandemic, and it has become for the past few years, a virtual event, but I think it's it's wonderful. Uh, you can sit at home, but you can still interact. It's a place to uh, hear and interact with clinicians, your fellow patients, researchers. Uh, the pharmaceutical companies are all there. They have booths that would be set up. You know, if you went to a convention and you were walking down the hall, and this would be a hall where all the all the pharma companies are set up to talk about the different things they're doing. Well, they have those. They're just virtual booths, but you go in and you click, you get all the same information um, and all the touch points that, that help us understand more about what we're dealing with, the state of progress versus the disease, uh, and how, how to live with the complications of sarcoidosis on a, on a day-to-day basis, right? So um, I was involved in two events over the weekend, and I just want to reflect for a moment on two of those. 
um, because they were meaningful to me. And if you didn't have a chance to attend, or even if you did, maybe this will resonate with you. But I had the pleasure and honor to be a part of Friday evening's pre-summit events. First time they ever had a pre-summit event. Uh, This one was called An Evening to Find Hope and Inspiration Through Music Featuring Bernie Williams. Bernie Williams. Bernie was a member of the New York Yankees, and he is an all-time Yankee great. He, he's, he won the batting championship. He won gold glove awards. He had four World Series victories. He's, he has been retired into the Yankee Hall of Fame. But after his stint in baseball, Bernie went on to music and actually developed um, uh, developed. I want to say he actually uh, won some Grammy nominations, uh, a Grammy nomination. Which, when you think about it, for a guy whose first career is baseball and now his second career is music, and lo and behold, he gets a Grammy nomination. So he really knows how to play a guitar. Um, and so, what we talked, and his his dad was he was very close to his dad, and his father passed from interstitial lung disease. Um, and, and of course, we all know that sarcoidosis' his main attack point in our bodies is the lungs. I, I, I can't remember the exact statistic, but it's around or about 90% of SARC patients have uh, complications in the lungs. And it might even be a higher number than that. But like the rest of us who have it in our hearts or neurosarcoidosis or spleen or brain or any of the others, we're kind of outliers compared to the folks with with uh, sarcoidosis complications, pulmonary sarcoidosis in the lungs. And so the whole concept around this seminar was the value of music to help people just sort of deal with sarcoidosis and, and, and help their mental health. And so Bernie came on, he talked about it, we had a panel discussion with Cheryl B., who's a sarcoidosis patient who's benefited from this, and Cheryl's a, a well-known uh, person within the sarcoidosis community. Mary McGowan, the CEO of FSR, came in, had her comments. Dr. Bobak Akhavan uh, from Cedar sinai in Los Angeles talked about the value of music therapy. And then from the Cleveland Clinic, we had Debbie Bates, who is a Ph.D. and music therapist, and, and there were some, some things that we all did together, and we stopped for a while, and we listened to Bernie Williams perform in the studio uh, alongside a singer named Jordan Sparks, and she performed a song that Bernie had written called Breath of Life, and it, it absolutely gave me chills to listen to that. And, and then we came back on and we talked about these different things and there were some exercises and, and some things that, that folks who had tuned in could do. But it was just, it was, everything was at a very high level from the quality of the panelists to the, to the quality and depth of the conversation and then listening to somebody, you know, like Bernie Williams, who's just, you know, an amazing athlete. And so, I, you know, I, I had on my fanboy hat for a little while, even though I'm a Red Sox fan. i got to put that out there. Sorry, Bernie. But, um, you know, I mean, he's just an all-time great. And, and just to hear him talk just like an everyday conversation about 
what motivated him and how close he was to his father and how this all came full circle. And then it becomes, it becomes a pre-summit seminar or evening of, of hope and inspiration, as it was called. Uh, so just, I just can't tell you how, um, how meaningful it is to me that uh, probably because of this podcast, definitely because of this podcast, I now have this relationship with FSR, and they asked me to to moderate that conversation, and it was it was just it was amazing to be there. So, and then on Sunday we had another one, which I also think uh, I hope you had a chance to attend, but if you didn't, it was a patient panel discussion. So think of it as a podcast with instead of one guest, I had three guests. Uh, and I was the moderator again. The guests were Jim Kuhn, Gary Farrow, and Rachel DiMaria. Uh, and they all talked about dealing with sarcoidosis. They talked about how it's changed our lives, how we... These are kind of familiar themes, but they were able to bounce off one another and just just instead of just bouncing off of me, which, which we did and we do on the podcasts... Um, but they were bound, able to bounce off one another and say, yeah, you know, that happened to me and this happened to me and this is how I deal with that and this is how I cope every day with, with sarcoidosis. And Rachelle, who I'd not met before, um, she talked about how she, she's very young. She's in her 20s. I want to say 25, maybe 26. Um, one of the younger sarcoidosis patients that I've ever interacted with she talked about training for life as a cosmetologist, finishing that training, and then all of a sudden being hit by Sark to the point where she couldn't even stand up anymore. She was in a wheelchair. And then she has lost the use of her hands. Um, so so she, the doctors put her on prednisone. She made a comeback, but she didn't like prednisone, right? We all talked about that. And in the chat, there was lots of, yeah, I hate prednisone. It won't take prednisone. Da, 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 da. Uh, so uh, Rachel will regained the ability to stand. She can use her hands again, but she's not able to work. And and it's, it's just a, a heartbreaking story. And I, I really want to, number one, I want to ask FSR if we can release that discussion at some point as a bonus podcast. You, you, you pay to attend the summit, and there are sponsors for the summit. And so the idea is is that this is, um, this is something you have to lean into. And so they are, um, they're hesitant to just give it back to me as a podcast because people had to pay for this. But after a certain amount of time, uh, that will elapse. And maybe they can make that that part of the recording available to me, and then uh, I'll release it to you. And of course, I'll let you know when that happens. But it was just a great discussion. That's the point. Gary and Jim have been on the podcast. I know them because they are Uber volunteers with the Patient Advisory Committee, and uh, and and many of the different ways that sarcoidosis finds members of the community and asks them to help other members. And and Gary and Jim are squarely in that group. And I, I've got to tell you, I'll be inviting Rochelle to join me soon on the podcast and and tell me more about her story, tell you more about her story, because um, we, you know, she was sharing the mic with two other people, but she definitely has 
uh, enough to talk about that I think we can unravel her life a little bit, and, and I think she's willing to do that. She nodded when I told her that I'd be contacting her, so hopefully that's something that, that we can do. But um, So just that was just a couple of touch points that I had with the summit. I hope you did. I know the summit will be back next year. Um, at some point, they're talking about doing it live again. I love the idea of getting on a plane in a, in a post uh, pandemic world and going and, and meeting everybody shoulder to shoulder and uh, sharing a drink, sharing some food and, and walking down an actual hallway and talking with everybody. But um, regardless of whether it's in person or virtual, I know it'll be back and it's just a great way for all of us to to interact with one another and to and to see the benefit of how FSR uh, has is trying to help us in so many aspects of our life. All right. Um, speaking of all that, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I do want to ask you to help me reach more people so uh, it can be as effective as possible. So if you want to share it on your social media, if you want to subscribe and just so it automatically just loads into your to your phone uh, or, or your computer, wherever you get your podcasts. And if, if you would give it a five star review or put a comment down on Apple podcasts, that just really helps. It helps the algorithm uh when people search our uh, sarcoidosis, it helps people find us. And and I just love that. Okay, thank you so much. Now, up next, uh, my interview today, you're going to love, love, love this interview. It's with John Makoviak, who is a caregiver. And I've only had one other caregiver come on and talk. Um, his wife, Janet, has appeared on the podcast. She also volunteers with FSR. She's on numerous committees. She works very hard for the rest of us, but she would not be able to do all of that without her husband, John, who's a, who's a very interesting guy. Um, and our conversation uh, had information that I think is both practical, but also philosophical. John John can just hold the world up at arm's length and turn it around and look at it and think about it and express it. <laughs> and, uh, so, and, and he talks about things like the need to care for himself in order to assist Janet. And by the way, Janet was a guest way back on episode 36 of the Sark Fighter podcast. So uh, the FSR Sark Fighter podcast. So I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to go back and learn more about Janet. Um, but she's also very interesting. And, you know, John says, look, the only way that I can help her is to make sure that we are attending to both of our needs. So if I'm not in the right place, I can't do what I need to help her. It's the old analogy of if you're on an airplane and the oxygen mask drops down, put yours on first so you can assist the person next to you if they're elderly or if they're a child. You can't help them until you're in the right place, right? And now Janet, you might remember, loves to ski, and she has gone out for the past couple of winters with an oxygen tank on her back in order to do what she loves, and, and she and John retired to a ski community, and then boom, here comes sarcoidosis, but she still finds a way to get it done, and this is a couple that hikes, they have an active, enjoyable lifestyle, kind of like you would picture somebody that retires to the mountains of the American West, um, and so they, they do this, but it's not easy, and they have found ways to make it work. And John is a big part of the reason that it works. So John Makoviak is coming up next here on the FSR Sark Fighter podcast. I feel alive. 
Hi, I hope you're enjoying the Sark Fighter Podcast. You may be wondering, what can I do to help? How can I be a part of the sarcoidosis solution? It's simple. Make a donation to KISS. Kick in to stop sarcoidosis. 100% of the money goes to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Look for a link in the show notes of the Sark Fighter Podcast. Welcome back to the FSR Sark Fighter podcast. And joining me now is John Makoviak. And John is the spouse of Janet, who's been on the show. But today we're going to be talking about things from the caregiver perspective. John, thank you for joining me today. It's uh, my pleasure. I hope to provide some help to people who uh, are in similar circumstances to Janet and I. And this is this is a badly needed perspective, and I appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk about it. And Janet has shared uh, that that she's really been in a difficult way with it. I, I recall uh, her talking about you guys are are big skiers, and she was skiing with an oxygen tank on her back in order to get some runs in uh, last be, winter, the previous winter. Is that true? That is that, am I, do correct. I remember that right? Yeah, exactly. And we just, uh, interestingly, last week, this week, finished uh, uh, our first trip in a year and did Glacier National Park, Mammoth Hot Springs, Yellowstone, Grand Teton. And Janet had an oxygen pack on her back um, while we were hiking. And, you know, when we're sleeping, she has the oxygen machine. So we're still trying to be stoic and do what we can to make life as full as possible. So let's go back just a few years, uh, because how long has Janet been diagnosed and how long have you as the spouse, the caregiver, um, you call it SOS, spouse of sarcoid, uh, but how long uh, have you been dealing with this and and how did that impact you right from the moment of, uh, of finding out what was going on? The, I think the diagnosis literally goes back Five years. Uh, Janet and I have been married 45 years. She's 62 at the time of diagnosis in 2018. Uh, she was first diagnosed with sarcoidosis in her lungs and in her lymph nodes. The diagnosis for Janet, as for many other people, took maybe over six months before doctors confirmed that that's what the issues were. Um, and, um, they were skeptical even then of knowing what to do. So five years ago is when it started. Um, it's very, I think maybe interesting, maybe not, but as Janet and I go through this road or down the road, um, it, it, it it's likely that sarcoid was, um, uh, an issue for Janet going back much more than five years. Uh, but because of a stoic nature and our physical ability and how we try to take care of ourselves food-wise. Um, and her threshold for pain, uh, I think that we didn't spend time at doctors or hospitals early enough to find this early enough. So it may be that progression went further than it might have if this was paid attention to sooner. So yeah. five years ago is when the diagnosis first came up and those difficulties were what other people endure, and that is doctors don't know enough about this. 
Uh, doctors don't look for this. There aren't tests that say, you know, you've got a flu or a cold and you have sarcoid. So it, it's particularly difficult at the beginning. And uh, I think, interestingly, uh, my feeling is that we were suffering anxiety, not knowing what was going on for a very long period of time. Uh, and then almost immediately we started suffering anxiety because we did know what was going on. Um, Sarcoid creates a big void. If you go to Dr. Google, you'll find 3 million hits on uh, uh, 3 million opinions and directions on what it really is. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I started the podcast, because once I knew it was sarcoidosis, I, I, I started Googling and I didn't like... I didn't like what I was seeing and I didn't know what to believe. And I thought, I'm just going to go straight to the sources on these things and, and use my background as a reporter to sort of figure it out. And that was one of the reasons that I, I just wanted to get out here with this podcast and, and honestly, to talk to real people, talk to real researchers and, and, and get the real answers. I don't always like what I hear, but uh, I feel like it's solid. So that's, that's, I hope this has been helpful, and I know that that uh, you guys found me I, either through FSR or through Googling. I'm not sure, but um, but I hope I it helps a little bit. We've probably heard all hundred of the sessions, and interestingly, I think that uh, your use of the word solid is fun because I find vagary in the solid because everybody's experience with this is totally different. That's I mean, true. Depending on your medical circumstances, depending on your physical circumstances, Dependent on your mental circumstances, dependent on your fiscal circumstances, this gets very wound up. And the fact that the snowflake part of the tagline for sarcoid is so correct, it is absolutely different for everybody. And I find with Janet, it's different almost every day, uh, you know, which, which parts of the sarcoid or which parts of her physical or mental states are, you know, being clicked on or clicked off for the better or worse on any given day um, is part of what our road has been. And, you know, as the partner, I do the best I can to learn how to deal with that, uh, to comfort that and to uh, use something that I call my 48 hour rule, which I, I find kind of interesting. People could generally use this in life. And that is, if in any given situation, when you're subject to a high emotional reaction, good, bad, or indifferent, if you stop and try and picture what you're feeling about this will be in 48 hours, most of the time that high emotional negative point that you're witnessing at the moment, uh, in 48 hours, you won't even remember what it is. So if I can reset based on something like finding my center or 48-hour rule where yeah, I could get emotionally overreacting to doctors or medications, but the reality is in 48 hours, it doesn't matter in relation to the whole. So I try and find a center and a reset, and I try and help Janet find a center and a reset as consistently as we can. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a follow-up question on that. So 48 hours, what happens if after 48 hours, that, that stress or anxiety or trigger is still there, then what do you do? Oh, I think that you're you're allowed to have emotional swings. I don't. Uh, I think that that's part of human nature, and we're going to do that. I, I I I try and take it back to where it's actually it's warranted, whether it's you know good or, uh, or bad, uh, because we should go through emotional highs and lows. You can't stay exactly down the center forever. Uh, it's important to understand 
that that's part of human nature, but it's also, I think, of what I've learned is it's important to understand that harping on negative, being angry, being upset, uh, the medical system running you over are things that actually will make you feel worse. They don't make you feel better. So uh, in an odd sense, we also try and find a 100,000 foot perspective in terms of recognizing how fortunate we are. Uh, because the reality is we live in an extraordinary place and time. The headlines that are around us can always lead us to feeling negative, but um, all of us have benefited from living in the United States, having access to education, having enjoyed relative economic stability. We've always had, look at what's going on in the world now, peace on our shores, technological advancement and for all the flaws that we've had in our medical structure we are still if not the best one of the best medical structures in the world sarcoid is just you know a pimple that's not yet recognized as how significant it is to so many people well we're making we're making progress that's for sure but you know, you talk about this uncertainty and you sent me some notes on on what life is like for you. And one of the things you talked about was uh, the stress that comes from uncertainty and how that is, is something that uh, really is difficult for the caregiver because you don't know what she's going through. You don't know how she's going to feel You're concerned for her. So uh, I'm just curious how much stress comes from the uncertainty that comes with sarcoidosis. Well, right, there is stress, <laughs> partner, family, friends, uh, things that aren't going right. We all, as humans, are going to have emotional attachment to those occurrences. And um, in the case with Janet and sarcoid, is um, we do try and keep in perspective the things that we can control, the things that we can't control, and at the end of the day, um, the emotional stress makes things worse for the patient. The emotional stress makes things work worse for the partner. Uh, the emotional stress makes things worse for uh, physicians involved. That's uh, it's something that becomes a, a total, total negative. Um, the day to day continues the best we can. Uh, Life changed at the moment of diagnosis. Um, we each comprehend our own diagnosis differently. And we do consistently find, and I've, I think it's interesting, you brought it up before, uh, prednisone being such an important part of the sarcoid prescriptions, the medical road, um, people can see you and not know that you're suffering to the extent that you are. Um, right. And, and it is oxymor oxymoronic for, you know, Janet and I to be together and see people we haven't seen in a while. And they look at her and say, you look great. And that may be her worst day of a month. And, right. you know, it's uh, it's uh, it's hard for people to understand. Yeah, no, it is. So you told me you have a sympathy slash empathy meter. Oh, I. So you try you try to keep your buckets. Oh, goes, goes, yeah, that's an interesting footnote. That goes back to my meditation associations over many, many, many years, and 
the sympathy empathy meter is knowing what Janet is going through, knowing what other people in our lives are going through in their own way. Um, I do the best I can to have a very high sympathy empathy factor. In other words, I don't come first in most circumstances. Sarcoid's particularly interesting in our family. Uh, if I have ailments, they'll generally take second place uh, to whatever's going on in sarcoid. So I have to get have to get into that. That's part of the sympathy empathy meter. But in in, in having that meter again, I'm looking for a center. I, I don't I, if 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 I allow my sympathy to run dry or my empathy for what Janet may be going through day after day, week after week, or month after month, then the relationship gets harder, stress gets harder. So I try to recognize where I am in my own sympathy meter and empathy meter. And if I feel a kilter, uh, I'll go for a walk with the dogs on my own. I'll step outside and watch the clouds go by. All oh, this sounds trite, but for me, it's a cleanser. It's a, a, a repositioning, and it helps me get out of that emotional two-second moment that you know seems to be so important or uh, I'm not being paid attention to, and therefore I need attention. And so um, the stepping away from it being outside of it, even for a couple of seconds or a couple of minutes, it's generally best for me to go walk the dogs. Um, but staying away from that emotional negative high in how my spouse feels at any given moment is one of the most important things I can do. It, it's great that you that you recognize that. I'm not sure that everybody does, but could you compare your life before and after sarcoidosis? No, uh, I think that's a big brush. I, I will say before um, there was never second thought in terms of physical activities, what we could do, where we could go. Um, I, the, the, you would just do it. And uh, as I suggested before, the change when we got the diagnosis was – uh, we were uncertain, we were concerned, we were fearful when we didn't know what was going on. When we got the diagnosis, we were concerned, we were fearful, we couldn't, we didn't know what to do. Um, and over time, we've learned you, we don't, the days are not, they can't be as strenuous for Janet because of the ailments that she's got. Um, we do the best we can to shorten things up. We do the best we can to appreciate the yellow on the aspen leaves this time of year, do the best we can to recognize that the blue sky is a gift. And uh, I, I'm not trying to minimize what we're going through. That, that that would be completely unfair. But I do think that that reset towards the center uh, and that finding everybody being able to, and they are, uh, finding the center that takes away the emotional lows that could just be a horrible drag. I mean, again, the diagnosis process is kind of miserable. The uh, medication process to me is, uh, there was a friend asked us, John, going back to just after the uh, pandemic and, you know, we were starting Jeffersonian type dinner parties there again. And a friend started our Jeffersonian conversation so people could get to know each other by asking the question of what did you learn about your spouse or partner during your confinement thanks to the 
pandemic that you didn't know before? And without thinking, my answer was I did not realize how many medications Janet was on. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because if I'm not there all the time, I don't see. And if we're together 24-7, you know, I see the morning medications and the afternoon medication and the evening medication and medication for this and medication for that. And that that to me is concerning. And I must say, again, in finding that center and trying to be rational about where I could be really concerned about these cross currents of multiple medications, the doctors that we deal with at National Jewish are as professional a team as anybody could possibly ask to have. They communicate with each other constantly. Their care for Janet and even I as a, a partner of are extraordinary. They do the very best they can to explain what they think they can do, how they think they can do it, and do the very best they can to help us understand that these cross currents of some of these medications uh, are in the end worth what the trade-off may be to make Janet feel better and in some cases maybe slow the progress of her disease. Yeah. Well, I want to go back just a second because you talked about where you guys just went uh, on your on your Yellowstone trip, <laughs> and so you you are very clearly active outdoorsy people. You live in a part of the world where that's what what why people live there. Uh, why we're here, exactly. And so all of a sudden, now you're getting toward retirement or at retirement. You've got you you are are is it fair to say people of means? We're comfortable. I've worked hard to be lucky, and now we're philanthropic. Because uh, um, my friends will say this is tongue in cheek, but we 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 were born with no money, and my goal is to die with as close to no money as I possibly can. So, okay, philanthropic and sharing it with others is our goal now. Janet's Janet's been a professional philanthropist for twenty years. Well, that that is amazing, and thank you for that. Um, as somebody who serves on a bunch of local boards and. Uh, has been in higher education a little bit. Uh, I know that there's always someone standing around the corner who who uh, makes a good, honest pitch for needing some money. So that thank you to to those of you who are willing to do that. Well, it's but, money and it's time and expertise. So, uh-huh. uh, Janet's been on philanthropic boards for so long. Started two philanthropic entities, more than two, but two are extraordinarily successful. So she's more in the core and more physically there. I'm fiscally there. And problematically, I think that some philanthropic entities would say that uh, I'm a bit of a pain because I look at philanthropy as a business. Uh I think that many business attributes apply to philanthropic entities. The people who are involved with philanthropic entities tend to have extraordinary hearts and very, very reaching desires to make life better for others. But in order to get from this year to the next year, there are some business principles that need to be incorporated. And I'm the thorn that tends to show up and bring those up for entities that otherwise are not as exposed to those as they might be. Well, and if it's not a well-run organization and and you give them money, uh, the money goes to waste. So you want to make sure that organization is there to serve that cause and do so effectively and uh, and that it's got good governance. I I applaud that 100%. Yep. But but my point was not that, but my point was, is that, is that for you and Janet, um, 
you had the, the means to to go and do the things you wanted to do, and all of a sudden you couldn't do it because That's of correct. sarcoidosis. That's correct. Things were throttled back, and focuses um, over time. I will say that there are a lot of bumps in the road to get to where we are at a comfortable point now with the life we lead. Uh, is figuring out what do you want to be when you grow up now that you have a diagnosis that came out of left field and makes things totally different than you expected they were going to be. I don't, we still uh, ride bikes, uh, e-bikes, I'll admit to you, because we live in Taos, New Mexico at 7,400 feet. So the oxygen level is pretty skimpy sometime. And Janet on oxygen makes it that much more difficult, but e-bikes have been an absolute blessing to be able to get outside and enjoy the environment that's around us to actually see your neighbors as you ride by and to be able to climb hills that we otherwise wouldn't be able to climb. Uh, skiing, as you mentioned, Janet plays with that um, to get out and enjoy outside and get some benefit of, out of being alive today. And yes, she wears oxygen and it's inconvenient. And there may only be 45 minutes or a half hour that she's out on the slope. And that's better than none. Um, the, the gardening we do and hiking and taking care of the dogs and making sure they get their three to four miles a day exercises pretty important. So in that sense, we're really healthy that way. Right. It, it it did change. There's a there's a point in our lives in that those activity levels, whether it's travel or daily activity, um, that I I have to ask myself, should I stay or should I go? Because um, a will be walking the dogs, for example, and it's clear Janet's tiring. Uh, are you okay, dear? Uh, yeah, I'm fine. You know, that's stoic. Um, yeah, I don't feel pain. That's stoic. So you keep going a little bit. And are you okay, dear? And no, I'm not. And well, the decision points become as a partner, do I turn around with her? Um, sometimes I do. Um, do I suggest to continue to go on as she goes back to someplace to rest? And sometimes that's the outcome. Uh, and so there's all kinds of adjustments that have to take place because of circumstances, hers personally, uh, and mine and how those two are intermingling or how those two are clashing at any given point in time. Mm -hmm. So, and, and when you hear people typically let's take sarcoidosis out of the picture and just talk about the, the jest that's out there, uh, with respect to the man in the marriage, um, they always, the expression is you can be happy or you can be right pick one <laughs> and so and so janet janet says oh i'm tired you know you go on it's okay but does she really mean that yeah no there, well, when there's emotion but that, that brings up a really good point john because part of and i think it's something that we wanted to, that i would have wanted to touch on the communication cycle changes right uh, the communication cycle changes well it it can, it should, it should is a hard word. It could change to recognize that, that I need to understand. And, you know, I'm very fortunate in so many ways. And one of them is that Janet is stoic and has a, a high threshold for pain. And that reality says that sometime I'm not getting the truth. You know, how do right. you really, right. You know, so how far do you push it? And, but at the end of the day, that, communication cycle changes because the sharing of information to me as the partner it's very important that i understand where we are so that i can help 
be part of the decision-making factors that we're going to be involved with at any given moment, whether it has to do with going to dinner or leaving an event or going for a walk, um, it's particularly important. And Janet and I talk about this a lot. It's, it's, it's important that the communication is open. There's no flaw in what the circumstances are. They are what they are. We didn't ask for them. We didn't bring them on, but they're there. And we have the opportunity to decide that we're how we're going to deal with it, how we will attempt to keep it in perspective, and how we're going to communicate about what each partner's role is at any given moment and at any given time. And sure. so, yeah, so you're, you're right. There's conflict. <laughs> Even in getting an answer, there's conflict in the answer. Well, because you're assuming everybody's in a rational frame of mind, but sometimes, you know, anger, you can't decide if you're going to be angry or not. Right. Actually, I'm I'm assuming that we're not always in a rational frame of mind because we're not. And what I'm suggesting is that this, this bump in the road in our lives, I don't even look at this as an opportunity in our lives, uh, has created the potential for us to see things differently for us to communicate differently, for us to empathize with others differently, for us to, uh, for me to see myself differently. I mean, this has been a really interesting, it's not all negative. I'm not trying to minimize the effects or the difficulties with the doctor or the trouble with the insurance company and the fiscal difficulties with Medicare and not paying for things that you just would go, you'd roll your eyes and Janet said 20 hours a week dealing with, you know, Medicare stresses and crying, and that certainly doesn't make her more healthy. But at the end of the day, it's 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 a restructuring of what's our life, what's our life going to be. We can't do anything about the fact that this came into our lives, and let's do the best we can to make each day better for each of us. I I I, you know, that sounds very Pollyanna-ish, and, and, and in a sense it is, that Jenna and I both, I particularly had to, had to restructure. My work life was very focused on detail and, and, and moving things forward and being very, very, very accurate in all things that were being done, and, and the world totally changed. Because we can't be totally accurate with sarcoid. I don't know what it's going to bring today. Janet's inside right now doing IVIG infusion, um, self-infusing, because we had gone through five or six months of driving to the infusion centers in Denver or 10 hours in Dallas. Mm -hmm. Uh, It started taking literally a week, a month out of our lives um, and Janet, again, stoic enough and research-oriented enough, decided to have a port put in. Um, we have nurse friends here in Taos, and the nurse friends come the first day, and Janet takes care of the infusions the other days. I mean, things change, and and, yeah. and they they change every day. And once again, that that's it's it it not minimizing it. It just is what it is, and keeping it in perspective for us has been very helpful. Well, but let's talk about you as the caregiver. I mean, you know, you and Janet have a life together, but you have interests, you have uh, needs, things you want to do. You talked about your your work and your and the amount of detail. I mean, how have you uh, philosophically? I hear the hundred thousand foot version, but uh, but day to day, how do you keep that under control? And do you mourn the loss of the the life that you once had or wanted? 
I, 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 I keep it under control by recognizing again that this was a card that was dealt that we couldn't control and that the responsibility I have is not to take the circumstances and make them worse for me or for her. I do not. And again, this is a reality. I, I do not take this as pain or punishment. I take this as a reality. And every day I get up and do the best I can to make the most of what my life is now and what Janet's life is now. And, you know, so I mean, maybe a foolish sidebar example, but you know, sometimes when that emotional meter runs dry, I, I go to the pool table and, you know, my, one of my aspirations in life on retirement was I wanted to be able to travel the world, play billiards in any back alley in Nicaragua and lose on purpose because I didn't want to die over winning the $5. So, you know, so, so that kind of getaway for me requires 100% mental focus. So, you know, Sometimes my life needs to be, I leave the house, I go to the pool table, and that's a, just a change of direction. It, it, it doesn't take away what things, what circumstances are. They are what they are. But, but I, I got I to back up. Are you, a really, are you a really good billiards player? Um, it's like golf. So there, there, there's a line in billiards, like there's a line in golf. In billiards, the line is, I am a very good shot maker. I am a very poor controller of leaving the cue ball where I want it to be okay. to the shot, which is that's when you really are getting to the grace and beauty of, as in any sport, that's the level that I aspire to. Right. But I'll admit with the hundreds and hundreds of hours that I've committed to trying to get there, I'm not there yet. Okay. All right. To your, to your question, is that kind of diversion, that kind of diversion, uh, you know, meditation is a diversion that gets me away from what the circumstances are into myself to get that cleansing pool is takes my focus away from what other things are so yeah i have my slices of my life i have my friends independent of some of janet's friends we have our friends um but the amount of time that goes towards that individualistic focus or action is less now because the sarcoid requires some attention and uh, the wear and tear of it is uh, is literal on both of us. And so, uh, yeah, I have breakaways, but the breakaways are less than they might have been otherwise. Our, 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 our trips are, are less exotic than they might have been otherwise. Our, uh, we have to, uh, <laughs> there's an interesting, I just thought about it in the sense that I was going to say it. We have to make sure that wherever we go around the corner in the United States or anywhere in the world, that there's some kind of medical tension that would be considered respectable, God forbid we should need it for some circumstances that are not foreseen. For so, sure. we take that, so we take that into account. For sure. I want to go back to that IVIG um, mm -hmm. that, that Janet is now doing uh, herself with her nurse friends there at home. But one of the things that you've had to deal with that all of us have had to deal with is trying to get approval for the various medications that uh, help fight sarcoidosis, but are not necessarily approved for sarcoidosis. Remicade comes to mind. Um, I've been through the whole Remicade thing, having to fight and fight and fight and fight to get it approved. And then you have to go through the reapproval process. It's expensive. The insurance companies don't want to 
cover it. It is off-label for sarcoidosis. And you had told me that it's been difficult for you to watch Janet fighting with the doctors or and or the insurance companies trying to get approval for the drugs that she needs in order to just function. Well, I think, and as I thought this through, I kind of titled this this, this part of what we might talk about is medical diagnosis not approved. So lately and painfully, the biggest sarcoidosis stressor is one we didn't have any idea that we should expect. Most of the drugs have required prior authorizations over the years uh, due to prednisone being about the only FDA-approved drug for sarcoidosis this has been applicable to Remicade, azathioprine, mycophenolate, et cetera. The list goes on. When I retired last year, we switched over to Medicare. Everything had to get new prior authorizations. There were so many layers to go through, and they kept denying Remicade as sarcoidosis was not an approved diagnosis for Remicade. Her primary care physician had to write a letter literally stating that basically she would die from cardiac sarcoidosis if they didn't approve it. It was eventually approved, but her monthly infusions were delayed by weeks while we waited. We also learned that once you get into catastrophic coverage with Medicare, you still have to pay 5% out of pocket and the nursing cost for infusions is not included. This year, after about a year of conversations with doctors, John, in January, Janet finally agreed to start IVIG infusions. They scheduled the first round of every very expensive infusion for late February. She would travel to Denver to have them done four days, seven to eight hours a day. Medicare changed the diagnosis approval code in February. This was mid-cycle. You register for Medicare in October. It was good from October to February. And, and then all of a sudden it's not. And, and she, all of a sudden it's not. So, right. you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time, unfortunately, being helpless, literally, in watching Janet often end up in tears, hanging up after long conversations, no, first being on hold for long periods of time, then long conversations with people who, in a sense, are trying to help but living with walls that our system puts in front of you for making progress and what the doctors say you need. So yeah, the, 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 the system's been tough to deal with because sarcoid falls over onto a, you know, a left hand, not really acknowledged, Dev, not everybody has it. No doctors aren't familiar with it. Um, so, the, you know, the system, the insurance companies say, nope, nope, nope. And we subsequently learned, this is kind of interesting, we subsequently learned there's something like 85 to 90% of denials in insurance systems and Medicare uh, are uh, are ultimately reversed by people pushing on them. So you know, why does the system set up for sick people that you have to push and push and push and stress and strain and have financial difficulty? Uh, especially oxymoronically with something that you're going to approve at some point anyway. Right. So when you watch Janet going through, you're the caregiver, you watch her hanging up in tears because she she's just so frustrated and she's dealing with some, some person who is low level or mid-level on the other end. And Janet and, and you 
know a lot about the situation and that person is just reading from a script and you cannot get through them. You can't make any progress. She hangs up in tears. What's the caregiver's role right then? <laughs> that's, that's a great question because the, well, first I'll say that most of the people on the other line, other end of the line are doing the best they can with what their instructions are. I mean, the, the, these instructions sure. come on high. But for me personally, as the caregiver, it hurts. It's it, it's emotional stress. It's frustration. I feel so helpless. And there's a parallel in that. The, the the medical issues generally are hard for me to cope with as a, a partner because more of this, the, 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 the way, as you know, it works in sarcoid, uh, most people, most of your listeners will know that doctors who are professional and doing the best they can, you have variant circumstances in your ailment. And so, you know, we'll increase prednisone five milligrams, we'll subtract five from uh, something else. And, you know, so watching these medical experiments is 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 as frustrating and as the partner caregiver i don't consider myself a caregiver i'm a partner but the, the, it's just that helpless feeling is something that i wish i could get rid of by doing something constructive and it's just that that door's not there now you just can't make anybody feel better when they're in that situation but at least you get i guess you can understand it you can well, be again, it goes back to the empathy and, the, you know, the empathy meter, not the sympathy meter in this case, but the empathy meter. Yes, dear, I understand and understand that the person on the phone is, as you said, using the script they have to use and dealing the cards that they've been dealt. And we have to if we have to take it to another level, we have to take it to another level, taking it to the uh, emotional extremes of getting more burned out and more frustrated and more hurt by it doesn't do either one of us any good. And so you try and keep again bring back to that perspective i will I, I, go ahead you asked a question before and you know so for me exercising matters to try and keep my center for for me meditating matters to try and keep my center for um, me and for the benefit of our relationship we touched on it, John, having the, you know, outside relationships or running to the pool table as a sublimation for uh, what the moment may bring us that's not particularly good. I will say I think it's extraordinarily important for care for partners to recognize that their health matters. Uh, uh, an ill partner does no good for somebody with sarcoid. It, 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 it's, it, it's important that we do take the time mentally and physically to take care of ourselves so that we can better take care of uh, our partner or significant other that are enduring the, the, the sarcoid road on their own. Yeah, no, I think I, yeah, what you're saying is admirable and you make it sound as if um, that's just the way it's supposed to be. But I'm sure that that some people are out there um, saying, you know what, I can't deal with this anymore. Uh, this isn't what I signed up for. I, I know we said for better or for worse, but this is worse than I ever thought it could be. I'm out. I uh, <laughs> I understand that, and I'm not minimizing what we all go through in different right. stages and different phases. But in our lives, in my life particularly, recognizing that they're wasting energy on things I can't control is wasted energy. Okay. Controlling things I control are controllable energy. So 
for for us, for me, I try and be very, very careful about where I expend bad energy. Have you ever gone through, I mean, you sound like you could be a counselor, uh, but have you ever gone to counseling or or worked through this with a professional at all? No. No? I don't. I, 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 that's an interesting observation on your part, and you're always good at your observations. I don't my responsibility going back to before retirement, April Fool's Day of 22, uh, involved being very, very close to about 300 families across the country. We knew multiple generations of most of the families. We knew them fiscally, emotionally, psychologically, and health-wise. I learned a lot from their experiences. And so, what, what what did you do? How did you know all these families that well? I was I was a financial advisor for okay. 44, so I made people rich and then I kept them rich for gotcha. forty four years. But in that role in their lives, we were integral. I mean, we literally had people who wouldn't buy cars without having conversations with us. With I mean, the kids going to school, where they went to school. But to the question you ask, we were literally attached to. Um, their emotional, fiscal, and health positions. And I learned by observation, by the benefit of, um, I learned from everybody I've ever dealt with. Um, We truly, I I learned how people deal with things that come into their lives. Mm -hmm. Unfairly, maybe. I've chosen what I've seen as the best ways uh, that other people dealt with the similar circumstances for Janet and I to deal with sarcoid. Yeah. Well, I cheated. I stole from somebody else. Well, you know, as long as you have the knowledge and you can implement it and it works, then doesn't matter, does it? <laughs> doesn't matter. It works so- some of the time and some of the time it's, you know, it's, it's a fool's dream, but I still try and keep it down that center road and I still try and use life experiences to make our experiences as as good as they can be. Right. The other analogy that's always out there that I think applies to you as as a partner is uh, you're in the airplane. If the oxygen mask drops down and you're traveling with a, a child or an elderly person, put your mask on first so that you can then help the person beside you. And so what would your mask be in life? What what do you do in order to keep yourself in a place where you can help Janet? I've got to go back to that 48-hour rule. Uh-huh. I, I, I truly um, think that immediate emotional, immediate negative emotional reaction oft is wasted. And I, minimizing negative emotional reaction in our lives has I think been one of the most important things I can do. So taking care of myself uh, and not letting things get outside of a band of where they really matter or how they really matter uh, has been most important. I, I, I'll also say that this is cheating, but the, the sublimation of philanthropy and seeing people who are of circumstances maybe even more difficult than ours is a cheater's perspective to say, yes, it's our, our lives are not perfect. Uh, they're better than others. And we should make the most of what we have to deal with every single day. Okay. I, I think that's good. So do you have any, any advice 
Hmm. Somebody who's maybe just dipping their toe into uh, a rival uh, of a sarcoidosis situation, and all of a sudden, uh, all of a sudden, now that person's life is not what they thought it was going to be. How do they deal with it? How do they reach that uh, that sort of happy place when their life is just kind of been stolen from them because their their spouse or significant other is is hurting? Well, I think the pretty basic um, philosophical approaches that includes staying centered and mindful. So for me, walking meditations, um, very, very helpful. Uh, observing as much positive as possible. Uh, we talked about the communication uh, being a little... I'm not, everybody's relationship is different, but it's it's important in Janet and my relationship that sometimes I, I I take her answer and then I press it a little bit. So I, I really find out what the emotion or the feeling is because it's going to tend to be covered up. Um, as the caregiver partner, I think staying healthy, for me to stay healthy matters more than I would have thought it mattered otherwise. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm down and out or I'm sick or I'm mentally out in left field, it's making her circumstances worse. Sarcoid is ever present. Um, so being a little less self-focused and a little less selfish probably is healthy. Um, we talked about having you know my own spaces and my own things to do. Um, and recognizing that your partner needs you uh, as much as possible, as attentive as possible, as empathetic as possible, and that we should, and this is preaching, and I really don't mean to do this, it's just sharing our experiences, you know, living mm -hmm. in your own, not somebody else's present moment, and recognizing what it is has been very beneficial for Janet and I. Just living in the moment. Boy, so many people with or without sarcoidosis are trying to do that. You hear it all the time, living in the moment. So, And living in the moment is for you walking out your door and looking at the aspens, which are turning yellow this time of year. And yeah. and instead of, instead of your mind cycling through all these negative thoughts, just enjoying what's happening right there in front of you. You go. I, I I I gave reasons to recognize how fortunate we are. Before I'm going to get more foolish now. I and I sometimes do this just to play inside my own head. Unfortunately, but we have I don't know, go four billion years in global development. You have I don't know forty billion human Homo sapiens since our although well arguable creation forty to sixty thousand years ago. And I really, John, believe that regardless of individual circumstances, we do live in the best times. We do live in the best political circumstances. We do have the, the best opportunities. We have the best medical attention. And for what ails us, some things can't be changed. Uh, but recognizing our fortunes individually, whatever they are, uh, can make things a whole lot better than carrying that burden 24-7. Beautiful. I think that's a great place to wrap it up. John, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with me today. It's been a pleasure, John. I'm grateful for all the things that you've done, and I, I, 
I hope that our conversation adds a little bit of help to somebody's life out there going through what you and Janet always go through. I feel like a zombie just feeding and stumbling. All right, great. So I hope you enjoyed the interview with John. I want to thank him for joining me. I want to thank him for how he assists Janet so she can assist the rest of us as a volunteer. But John is just a really, really interesting guy. You, you couldn't see it, but he has a, um, a rug that was made on a loom by Native Americans. And he talked about, um, he, he got very granular with me when I asked him about it, about how long it takes them to to make that and how they had to do it from memory and how it, this is a, um, it's a very simple image. It, it's, it's like a diamond, uh, a, a, a brown diamond on a, on an off white field, but it's the size of an American flag maybe. Um, but it, how, how it took two looms and a person doing it by memory and doing it by hand and and how much appreciation he had for how difficult it is for somebody to do that and we and we talked a lot about it but but that's the 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 way he kind of lives his life and where his value system is and uh, I just found it fascinating and I would love to spend more time with John and with Janet and to and to just kind of hang out have a glass of wine and and hear them talk. So, uh, but John, uh, thank you so much for coming and listeners. I hope you, uh, hope you enjoyed what he had to say. Okay. Uh, a couple of housekeeping notes. The official Sark fighter song is zombie by Mark Steyer and his band, the white hot lizards. Mark's story is episode 12. Normally I release this every other Monday as I'm speaking today. Yes, he is there. My trusty boxer Dougal is curled up on the chair in my office. He makes my life so much better. I just love to kind of Get in here, have a cup of coffee, let Dougal get settled in, and do my thing. I just love it. The backstory to the founding for the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research is episode 11 with Andrea and Redding uh, Redding Wilson. Don't forget to follow the Sark Fighter. You can just search for it on Facebook and Instagram, Peloton. uh, I'm there as Sark Fighter, my cycling blog, Carl and the Cyclist has a section called Cycling with Sarcoidosis, and I can't tell you how many runners and cyclists have come out of the woodwork because they've heard the podcast, and they do listen, they do talk to me, and a lot of them have been featured on the podcast, so um, even though that's a niche within a niche, uh, our this endurance sports community, uh, including hikers, has, has found the podcast, and I just want you to know that that's out there. And I've got some thoughts for some new blogs that I'll be doing, so check that out if you will. And that's uh, my blog is called Carl and the Cyclist. If you're new here trying to figure out what sarcoidosis is, go back and listen to Episode 2 with Dr. Simon Hart. It's one of the most listened to podcasts that I have done. My story is Episode 1. Please send me an email carlinagency at gmail.com. It's in the show notes. I'd love to hear from you. If you want to comment or if you want to appear on the podcast, please let me know. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, keep fighting.